Our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 28, verses 23 through 31. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even large number, larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He went witness to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They agreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been set to, sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Well, good morning, church, and welcome to those joining online. Hello to you as well, and those that will watch this later, hello to you. As we get started here today, uh, we're not doing a new sermon series, don't worry, so you don't have to cheer or, or boo or anything today. Oh, you're going to boo? Okay, oh, you want the sermon series. So, you know, it's funny, uh, last week when we ended up our last sermon series, I had so many people say, but we wanted it to keep going. So, uh, I apologize. We moved on, but maybe we'll come back. We'll see, but... I, uh, we're going to do a special sermon here today, one that really is just kind of only can be spoken in this time, and that is because of uh, an event that happened this past week that really just settled with, not settled with me, but it's been on my heart and mind all week, and no matter how much I've tried to not think about it and think about other things, it's still been there, and I couldn't get it out of my head, and so as we're here today, I wanted to preach this sermon uh, after an experience this week, but first let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I have a, a good friend whose name is Pat Hooley. And uh, Pat, you watch this a lot, so you might be watching this morning. So hello to you uh, if you're here today. But he has a, a, a funny statement. Pat and I know her, got to know each other very well. And he was telling me about he has uh, daughters. And so as he was raising his daughters, they you know had these moments of you know, wanting self-expression and doing different things and wanting to do things their way. And often, you know, Pat would do the dad thing and say, well, you don't want to do that. And here's why, you know, lay out all the reasons of why and all those different things. And this would go back and forth and back and forth. And eventually there would be that moment. And if you've ever raised teenagers, I hear this is a common thing. Or maybe if you have a dear friend who you've ever told, don't do this, right? They've said maybe something along these lines and their response would be, dad, I have to make my own mistakes. Otherwise, I'll never learn, right? And, and Pat uh, has one of the, these funny things. Pat's a, sometimes he can just lay it out the truth there and, and throw it out there. And he goes, well, you can, but that's the dumb way to do it. Right? That's what he would tell his daughters. He'd say, that's the dumb way to do it. Like, that is true. You can make your own mistakes to learn from them, but that's the dumb way, right? The better way to do that is you learn from the mistakes of others 
and you don't copycat and do the same thing, right? And it's true, right? Because in life, so many ways, we, we you know, sometimes use that as an excuse. I have to make my own mistakes or I have to do this myself and learn it on my own. But that's just hogwash, right? That's just basically, I looked at all the events of these, you know, and all the reasons why, and I just don't care. I still want to do it is really what's being said there. Uh, and nonetheless, we can always learn from others, and especially not only mistakes, but other events in life. You know, it's always common in any leadership podcast or any leadership training that there's basically copycat, looking at other people and the success that they've had and why they do it, how they do it, and trying to mimic that in our own life to learn from them. Both the mistakes, both the positives, the successes, or even just regular old life experiences are big things that happen. Well, this week, this past week, that is, there was an event that I had never been part of. And what I mean by that is, is I know this has been a common occurrence in more recent years around the nation. And even in, you know, the West Ohio and other places that I've served as a pastor. But it was my first experience being actually part of one. And that was the closing of a church. See, this past week, Groveport Presbyterian held a final service. As many as you know, 2 o'clock last Sunday. Many of you, uh, we were all invited. I, I shared that with you. Many of us got to go and be part of that service and uh, it was a somber service. It was a service where you sat there and, you're, and any Christian who just showed up to worship alongside our brothers and sisters, your heart just broke. And of course, at the end of the service, it was so well done, first of all. I have to just applaud them for many different reasons. But at the end of the service, so many of our, the members of the church came up to me. and You could just feel it palpable of just saying, we don't want this to happen to us. And of course, every church would know that, but when you've seen that in that moment of a church that's been faithful, that's served the community, that's loved Jesus Christ, all of a sudden saying, our mission is complete, and close its church doors for that final time. It's an experience that I really, I just had never been part of, and even though I know many times at a conference, we unfortunately close churches and vote to okay the closing of churches, and that happens, you know, quite honestly, fairly common. But still to be part of that, it was just another experience for me that I, no matter how you prepare yourself, you can't be ready in that moment. And our heart, of course, goes out to all our brothers and sisters who this Sunday were experiencing what it was like to find a new church home. And of course, we want to pray for them here this day. And I thought about that moment and I thought about what the pastor said that day. Pastor Piper was the one who gave the address and my understanding is she served there and she gave the address of, if I could turn back time, and now I tried as hard as I could not to sing that right now, because you hear those words and like you can't not just want to start singing, but if I could turn back time, and she shared with us just memory after memory of what that church had done for this community, and how that church had reached out, how that church had been faithful, for the many faces and people and moments where they put faith in front of their sight, what they could see in front of them, but they stepped out in faith in the way God just did amazing things through them. And I just, I, I so badly, if I had I had a better relationship with, with uh, Reverend Piper, I, I would have asked her to come and preach here today because one of the glowing questions that I took from that was, what would you say to our church? You being a pastor of a church that's closing its doors, that could come into a church you know, here today to see the people in these pews and that are online. And as I walked in this morning, I was, I was so filled with life because I heard the kids upstairs going, Woo! their Sunday school lesson. And I walked by the Sunday school and there was laughter that was going on down there. And I, I came upstairs and we had some visitors that I got to greet and, and just to see all the, the lovely faces that we have here today. 
And I just so wanted to talk to Dr. Piper, or Reverend Piper, that is, and ask her to come and preach a sermon here today of what she would do and what she would encourage us to do today. Maybe I'll have that opportunity someday. I don't know. I'll try to keep reaching out. Maybe we'll have that experience. But I don't have the ability to sit here today and say, here's what I would say, because I've never been in that position. But I did some reflecting this week and thought about one of the events that happens in scriptures that really maybe could encourage us again here today. And what I mean by that is the story of Paul and its conclusion. In the book of Acts, we get the story of the apostles. We get the story of not only Peter and the others, but we get the story of Paul coming to faith, this, the conversion of Paul, you know, Saul becoming Paul, becoming an apostle out to the Gentiles. And basically the second half of Acts just follows his story all the way through, going about and doing mission work throughout the world, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's unique about this book is that it ends without an ending. And what I mean by that is the story for the last few chapters is this, is Paul has been arrested and he's being sent because he's a Roman citizen. He's being sent to Rome and to go before the Roman consulate and all that for his, his conviction and for his trial. And so as he's going in those moments, there's all sorts of stuff that happens. You know, it gets delayed. There's all sorts of ships they have to, to get on and there's shipwrecks that happen. He ends up on different places and having to stay in house churches and all this different stuff. But eventually he gets to Rome. And when he gets to Rome, it's, it's the story of he's under house arrest. And it says in the end of the book of Acts that he was under house arrest for two years where he boldly proclaimed and was under that house arrest under, you know, he had a guard that would be with him, but people were able to come freely and go freely. And so people would always come and he'd tell as many people as he could about Jesus Christ. And then the book ends. There's a period. And I have to wonder if the scroll just ran out or what happened because you, there's this dying question of, what happens next, right? Because Paul's just sitting, like, we at least want to find out what happens in his trial. And through scripture, we never find out what happens in that trial. Of course, through um, tradition, there are some traditions that share with what, us, what happens is that eventually Paul does come before his trial. And eventually, one way or another, there's, there's kind of, not misunderstanding, but just different ideas of what exactly happens. But eventually, Paul is sentenced. And now pretty much they all agree on that, all the different traditions that Paul is sentenced and is killed by the Roman hands eventually. Now that would be the story there as we wonder as he's preaching the word and doing these different things, but it's actually not the last we hear from Paul in scripture. And even though there's some disagreement about scholars of when the book was written, but most scholars agree, and especially where I stand on this, I think it's very clear to me that the book of 2 Timothy is actually the last we hear from Paul. And I think this book was written actually pretty much right after he's under house arrest. I think he's literally in chains and he's talking to a scribe and writing it down and sending it out to a man named Timothy, a young man. And in this book, as you read through it, it's, it's one of these heart-wrenching books because in it, you hear Paul and you just hear his tone of voice. And instead of being, you know, the Paul that we all know that's just bigger and larger than life, that nothing can bring him down, that praises God in all situations, that just seems nothing can come his way, you see a Paul that realizes the end of his days are coming. And a Paul that says things like, I'm being poured out like a drink offering already. And he says to Timothy, you know, he, it's basically this, the whole point of writing this book is a passing of the torch. Saying, hey, Timothy, my time is up. Here's the gospel, my friend. Take it. Run with it. Here's my admonition to you. 
And in it, you can tell that Paul is kind of heart-wrenching, broken. He, you can tell that his days are not only numbered, but that things have not gone well with some of his trials. And it seems like he, it seems like if he had a trial and it sort of didn't go well, but he's sort of waiting a second trial, if you will. Because in those days, there was no jail. You only were in jail until you had the trial. And then there was only certain outcomes, right? One outcome was, you know, on one end, you could be dismissed, saying, oh, okay, we don't find this. You're not guilty. Go on your way. And the other end was, you're getting executed. And in between, there was very little that could happen. There was only a couple things. And one was, you could be sentenced to the galleys, or you could be sentenced to the mines, which both of those were a death sentence. You're either going to die a black lung, or you're going to be chained to a ship that was going to sink in a battle, and that was your life. Or you could be exiled. We can tell in Paul's letter that it doesn't seem like any of those options are happening. It seems very much like he's had one trial gone before. He's literally in chains now, and he's writing this letter to probably a scribe who's going to be sending it out to Timothy. And he's basically at the end of the book saying, Timothy, come to me as quick as you can. There's only so many people that are still with me, and many have deserted. And I await for me the crown of right. He talks in such ways that you can just see the imagery that he knows the outcome of this next trial and fully as he expects his life to be taken. Well, what's interesting about this book is it's that story of what you would say to those as you end your ministry and what you would encourage those that would take up the gospel beyond you. And the simple truth is that every single one of us will one day pass that River Jordan into the next life. We'll leave behind those who pick up the mantle of the gospel and carry it with us and carry it forward. And this is a story of Paul saying that. There's so many things in this book we could talk about, but I wanted to point out five. And five things that I think that if another church that was closing its doors would come and tell us, would say, absolutely, do these five things as well. But five things Paul specifically tells Timothy, do these things. Do these things. And he exemplifies it. There's much more we could say, but I'm going to say these five. And first one comes from this. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul just says these words. He says to to, uh, Timothy, he says, you know what? Fan into flame the gift that has been given to you. And he specifically remembers his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, who both have had been faithful followers of Christ that have been proven throughout their time to be not only followers of Christ, but to be involved in the church, to be involved with its ministries and had a sincere and deep faith. And he tells Timothy, hey, you know what? Fan into flame that story that has been given to you and the laying on of my hands, the Holy Spirit that has been involved in you fan into flame. Now, what I love about that is it doesn't say sit idle, do nothing, and you'll figure it out, right? But there's something active to do that he tells Timothy, right? That there has been a gift that's been given to each of us, and each of us need to fan into flame that gift. Of course, you know, how do you fan into flame the gift that's been given to you? You do that through what we call in Methodist Church, the, the means of grace that John Wesley wrote about. It's all those ways that we experience God on a regular basis that encourages us not only to continue on the paths that are good, but encourages us to leave and flee from sin and to become more holy and more like Jesus Christ. It's things, of course, that we all hear all the time, like scripture reading, like prayer, like being part of corporate worship, like being reading edifying books and to be in good conversations with one another, to fast, to meditate, all these type of things where we make room for God to fan into flame the story that's been given to us. And Paul encourages Timothy, fan into flame, fan into flame. 
Furthermore, he says, and that's the first thing is fan in the flame. The second thing is this in chapter one, verse eight. He also says, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or be ashamed of me as his prisoner. But join with me in the suffering of the gospel. Now, those words have a deep meaning when they're written by someone who's in prison, literally chained, waiting his execution. And he says to Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Be willing to suffer for it. Now, of course, in the United States of America, we don't suffer like many parts of the world do for Jesus Christ or many of our Christian brothers and sisters that have in history in different places and times suffered for Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, it's easy to understand sometimes proclaiming Jesus Christ isn't the popular thing to do. Sometimes proclaiming Jesus Christ in your life is not the thing that your boss wants you to do. Sometimes proclaiming Jesus Christ in your life and your actions aren't the thing your family wants to do. Yet God calls us to suffer. God calls us to follow. God calls us to endure. And so does Paul say to Timothy in these days. And so in other ways, we should be prepared to, and we know exactly how we might suffer in the future, but we always know that we're willing to endure whatever comes our way because the hand of the Lord is guiding us. and We trust in him. The third thing he tells Timothy to remember is this, specifically in chapter 2, verse 8. He wants to remind Timothy what the message is, and he sums it up in a very neat and tidy way. He says this in chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering. In other words, the core of what we believe is Jesus Christ. The core of what we believe is not only Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David. In other words, a fulfillment of the scriptures and what God has been at plan this whole entire time. This is the gospel to be centered upon and no other. Oh, church, remember this. Fourth thing that Paul says to Timothy is in chapter 3, verse 15. And it's really interesting how he words this, and I'll just kind of read it to you just real quick. It says this, starting in verse 14, right before it. But as for you, continue in what you have learned, become more convinced of. Now, what is it he has learned? He's going to explain that in just a minute. He says this, because... I know what you, where you have learned from it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, training, and righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, he reminds them, get into the scriptures, read the scriptures, be involved in the scriptures, learn from the scriptures. They will guide your life. And specifically, they will teach you and make you wise for how God's salvation and how saving acts are coming into the world. And of course, specifically, salvation through Jesus Christ, as Paul writes in those words. But I love that he reminds them, not only is it a matter of being reformed in your own life, in your heart and mind, through the scriptures and being transformed, for what purpose? And Paul actually says that purpose, right? So the man of God or the person of God could be equipped for every good work. In other words, Paul's reminding him in this moment, it's not just about suffering for Christ. It's not just about worshiping Jesus. It's not just about being reminded of scriptures and fanning into flame. 
but the gospel and the life calls us to be outward, the good works, and to not look only at ourselves, but to look out at others. That part of the, the transformative nature of being the church and who we are is, of course, looking out and seeing those in need, meeting those needs, seeing those who hurt, of binding up wounds, of seeing those who are lonely and being with them, of seeing those who are hopeless and offering the gospel of Jesus Christ and a friend to those who have none. What I loved so much about when I went to Groveport Presbyterian Church last week, and many of you I know said the same thing, what I love is the final act. Because all the funds that were left over in the bank accounts, and they were setting the church up, of course, for sale for later, and once the sale had happened, it was determined that every single penny was going to be given to one of two charities. It was going to go to Groveport Human Needs, Groveport Madison Human Needs, and it was going to go to the food pantry because they understood that the gospel work looks outward at those in need and acts. And then their final act, the final thing that they could do, the final moment, their dying breath, if you will, was to say, we're going to bless those in need. And Paul would encourage us to do the same. And the final thing that I wanted to point out, and he doesn't say it directly, but just by looking at that final bit of the final two paragraphs of the book of Timothy, there's this, this thing that he does, and he, I'll just read it to you in his own words, and you can just imagine Paul, and I'm just going to read it to you, and you can hear the heartbreak in his voice and the longing in his voice. He says these words, just starting in chapter 4, verse 9, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's been helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychius to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left and Carpus and Troas and the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metalworker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will pay him for what he has done. You too should be on guard against him because he is strongly opposed to our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support. But everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me and the message, that the message might be freely proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from, rescue me from every evil attack, and I will, he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be all glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Triumphius in sick in Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens and Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with you in spirit. Grace be with you. And as far as I can understand scripture, these are the last words we ever hear from Paul. So, much, so many of those words were, please come to me. We've had to send people away. Our people have left and gone off. Please come to me. Be with me. Dear Timothy, come as quickly as you can. Come before winter. Bring the cloak. Bring the parchments. Come and be with me. One of the things that I learned from this scripture is that God wants us to make every great effort to stay connected with each other. 
and that Christianity is not a solo religion, but it's a religion that looks at your brothers and sisters around you, does everything we possibly can to stay connected, to love each other as best we can, to be part of each other's lives as best we can. And I can imagine Paul, knowing prison days in those moments, he asked for a cloak. I can imagine him shivering, being chained in some cell in this moment. Just imagining his dear friend, Timothy. Really, he thinks of almost like a son coming to him with something basic like a cloak to bring warmth to him and scrolls and parchments so he could write more letters to the churches to be with him and Luke and those that were with him in those moments. Well, again, I have never gone through experience of closing a church. But as I read scripture, I think we get a good idea of Paul, the end of his life, and how he encouraged those who came after him to walk. Let's be a church that does these five things, that fans into flame the gift that's been given to us, that we would not be ashamed to suffer, that we would remember Christ as the center of our message in his life and resurrection, that we would search the scriptures and become more knowledgeable in them, not just because we want to make ourselves transformed and new, but that and because we want to go outwards with our work to serve others. And let us make every great effort that for all those who worship Jesus Christ, we would stay as connected as we possibly could, meeting each other's needs and loving each other as best we can. Again, I don't know what other pastors may would bring to us this day. But as we remember a great church in our community that had to shut its doors, and we pray that the Lord would keep these doors open of this church for many, many, many years to come, and hopefully until he comes and reigns in final victory. Let us do our part to be as faithful as we can, especially to remember those words of Paul writing to those Christians that he would leave behind. Let's put them into action. Let's be committed. And let's serve the Lord together at the time that we have left. Let us pray. Lord, as we come here today, we come both with glad hearts and somber hearts, Lord. For God, we do take time to just remember those members and the loved ones and those faithful people that have served and been part of Groveport Presbyterian. And the God, especially on this day, I know the feeling of just wondering where their new life with you would begin. God, we pray for each member that they would find a church home, a loving congregation that would just enliven their life once again, especially just the ways Paul had described that those churches would empower them to do these five things, to God walk faithfully with you in these days ahead. God, we pray for those that would receive the benefit of those church closings and especially, Lord, those gifts that are given to those that are in need. May mouths be fed. May, may people be able to stay in their apartments or be able to get the medical needs met, the power turned on, the kids' education done, whatever it is that is needed. Lord, bless those givings that they could be abundantly multiplied in our community, that those that receive it would somehow have an inkling about the faithful members that gave in their final moments of that church. God, we especially pray here now. Lord, we never know the days that are numbered before us, not only in our own life, but even the life of congregations. God, as we think about such things, we pray that you would make us wise, that you would make us courageous, and that, God, we would do all the things Paul told Timothy to do, and do it to the best of our ability as we surrender you to you. Lord, we are yours. 
We are your people. Lead us through your Holy Spirit. We will follow. And we praise your name forever and ever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.